Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 64th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'm excited to catch up with my friend Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, radio broadcaster and media relations with the Lansing Lugnuts, High A affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. Make sure to go back and listen through the catalog, folks. Can't really stress this enough. There's so many great interviews, 63 to be exact, uh, with awesome people that work in minor league baseball with so many different backgrounds and experiences and stories. Um, just so many amazing people back there. So go and check out those other 63 episodes. And it's time to shout out the top cities that people are listening to the podcast in. So let me pull that up here. And those top cities are, within this last week, were New Berlin, Wisconsin, Mason, Ohio, Elk Grove Village, Illinois, Wilmington, North Carolina, Chicago, Illinois, Hickory, North Carolina, um, a city in India, which I'm pretty sure that's a mistake, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, Kingston, North Carolina, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. Shout out to those cities for uh, listening to the Pulling Tart podcast the most within this last week. Do you want an individual shout out, folks? The easiest way to do that is drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen to the podcast on Spotify or any of those other podcast streaming services, uh, still leave a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. Also, give me a follow on Twitter at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. That way you don't miss out on any news about the Pulling Tart podcast as to who I'm interviewing, uh, where you can ask questions, and uh, when each episode comes out. With that being said, let's chat with Jesse Goldberg Strassler, the voice so nice they named him thrice, from the Lansing Lugnuts. Jesse, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Uh, I just got done saying I know your time is as good as gold right now leading up to the season. After such an amazingly long offseason, man, I can't even imagine. So what did you do during this ridiculously long offseason? I parented. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a baby born right before... Uh, during the off season between what I assume would be the 2019 and 2020 baseball seasons, good planning. That was our plan was to have an off season baby. Yeah. As it turned out, 
we could have waited and still had an off-season <laughs> baby. My wife works as a therapist, and uh, it worked out for us with me being home with baseball season canceled that the two of us could help take care of the baby together. I'd have a lug nuts meeting where she would meet with a client, and so the other person would be on baby duty. That was the silver lining. I was worried, okay, baseball season starts, I'm going to go on the road. Right. What do I do then? You know, I, I didn't have to go on the road. I could just hang with the baby. So uh, silver lining to just be together during all of it. Okay, that is awesome, man. That I mean, you're not the first person... Um, you know, first guest to say that, like they, they said, oh, I, you know, I had a, had a baby, you know, late in 2019, early 2020. And they, they said, yeah, I was a stay at home parent and, you know, had, you know, hopped on zoom meetings here and there, but primarily, um, you know, was, was a stay at home parent. So that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you and I know each other from when you used to visit Beloit, um, which would ha- usually happen once per year. Um, and I'm just ex- I'm just excited to ask, what has been the reception of the Lugnuts new affiliation with the Oakland A's, who you know Beloit was affiliated with when when I was there. And you guys were with Toronto for 15 years. So what is your reception of it? And what's the fans' reception of it? Uh, the fans are pumped. Okay. I'm hearing from so many people in the Lansing area who said, Oh, I've been an athletics fan since I was a kid. And now you guys get to affiliate with the A's. This is great. Okay. All the people who are saying they're the American League West champions. They always win. Moneyball. Yeah. So the A's are a cool franchise, especially for all those Detroit Tigers fans who are thinking, we never win. No matter what we do, we're down in the doldrums right now. And look at the A's. Doesn't matter who steps away from them. Doesn't matter the guys who sign elsewhere that they trade. They just go out there and win again next season. So they're highly remi- admired. And for me, just in interacting with the people with Oakland who I've had the chance to interact with so far, they've been great they've been relaxed and cool and uh, i'm i'm very high on oakland right now yeah i mean oakland was always great to work with they made a lot of roster moves um but i mean you you are the media relations guru you have you've had so much experience um so i'm sure you'll do you'll do quite fine uh you'll realize and i'm sure you've already started to realize they have a great fan base on Twitter, um, you know, always chiming in, always trying to help you out with even pronunciation of names, um, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and I mean, I've met some of the greatest people like through the Oakland A's organization, um, one of which stands out to me. He last time I knew he was the AAA manager um, and he was actually the manager when I was with Beloit. Um, Fran Reardon, who you've probably met as well. Um, Fran's one. Fran Reardon, when we were both in independent baseball. That's true. I forgot about that. He's a. What is he? He's a Frontier League Hall of Famer. Frontier League legend, icon. And I was in the Frontier League for one year with Windy City Thunderbolts. And if you're in the Frontier League, you know the name Fran Reardon. Yeah. 
Yeah, Fran Fran is good people, one of the best. So, um, yeah, have have fun with all those Oakland A's fans on Twitter, and um, you know, can't wait to check back in with you in a, in a couple, you know, in a year or so. Um, I always like to ask, and it varies from different organization to organization. Are you the radio broadcaster excluded from tart pools when you're in town? No. Okay. As a matter of fact, it's I'm in a very good spot in a way in that I am invited to do tart pools, but if I don't do them, the folks understand. So right. I would say externally, it's just understood that if there's a tarp pool needed, it's okay if I'm not there. Sure. Now... That that excludes me from the broadcasters who must do tarp pulls no matter what, mm-hmm. and that excludes me from the broadcasters who never do tarp pulls. Because the way that I think about things is, if I'm not pulling tarp, I better have a good reason. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I better have not received the message, or I'm on the air sure. because that's a bad look for there to be a tarp pull and me to be available and me to not be down there. Right. I I agree with that. So, as one of the few broadcasters that that pull tarp, do you have any wild or crazy stories of doing tarp pulls? Yes. Okay, I was in Brockton, Massachusetts. And the first thing is, I'd never pulled tarp before when I first got there. Okay. So I had to be told by one of the top sales guys, hey, don't pull tarp in your nice dress shoes. Because I'd be running out there with my nicest shoes, and he's going, what are you doing? You need to have tarp clothes. So I've had over the years, I've been searching for what shoes that I should wear during tarp pulls. I was at one point I decided I was going to wear old sneakers, mm-hmm. and those things stunk up the entire office after they got wet. Yes. Okay. Now I'm gonna go barefooted. Well, it hurts when you're on the infield dirt and there are rocks on the warning track. That's a terrible idea. So then I decided I'm going to wear the beach shoes, the water shoes that I'm yeah. going to slip on. This is going to be great. They have zero traction. I slipped everywhere. I could not get my footing. So now I wear hiking boots. Oh, okay. <laughs> water repellent hiking boots that I put on. These heavy duty hiking boots. And that's what I pulled the tarp in. Okay. I was always a old sneaker person and just mm. hid them, you know, somewhere in the stadium where they wouldn't right, bother they anybody. Stink. Yeah. <laughs> they always stink. Um, I was told by a groundskeeper not to go barefoot because uh, they use too many chemicals on the field. Oh. So, and that may vary from groundskeeper to groundskeeper. I don't know. I doubt that. I think that's really smart, and boy, I wish somebody had told me that. (laughs) I remember pulling tarp in Brockton, Massachusetts, and it was a stormy day, and I'm an intern, so I'm I'm the number three guy in the media department. Okay. Okay, it's time to pull tarp, and it's a terrible storm, and I've got it, and I'm wearing my, my rain slicker, and I'm looking around, and it felt like we were fishermen on a boat, and we're getting tossed in the storm. And I look to my left, and the guy goes down. And suddenly he's gone, and he's disappeared. And I'm not sure where he is. And I look to my right, and now they're gone. And so the tarp is just eating people all around me. It's like there's a shark eating all of my my mates. And so I'm just running and screaming. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 
we rescued everybody in the end, but my gosh. Oh, goodness gracious. That sounds like a disaster. <laughs> oh, man. So, I, and you've been with Lansing so long, um, which is a blessing to to them and to you. But, we, it, you know, people that work in minor league baseball, especially broadcasters, they usually travel quite a bit from from organization to organization, you know. So what has kept you in Lansing all of these years? You've been there 11 years. I think two things. The first thing is I I feel very lucky that I'm valued sure. in Lansing. It is a job that I'm proud to go back to and work as hard as I can, challenge myself, learn something new. I love the people above me. I love the people I work with alongside me. And then... I mean, the second thing is to move up from team to team, you have to get jobs. And jobs are really, really difficult to come by. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky to get four jobs, Brockton, Montgomery, Windy City, Lansing. It's hard to get a job in broadcasting and media relations. Right. Um, And so I think it's that combination that I love where I am, that I'm valued. And it's also very difficult to get a job to, let's say, move to a better opportunity. Mm-hmm. Very few better opportunities than Lansing roll around each off season. Okay, that's certainly understandable for sure. Wow, yeah, I mean, just you, you know, some with some organizations, you know, th- they get a new broadcaster every year, um, and for you, like you were even doing stuff with the Toronto Blue Jays. You were doing podcasts with their. Um, their minor league system, like informing the fans about what was going on there. Um, and you actually got a chance to do some Toronto Blue Jays spring training games. So what was that like to be engulfed in the Blue Jays organization? felt great. felt really, really great that they valued the broadcasters in the system. Mm-hmm. And that, that was something that had grown since 2012. Partnering up first with the voice of the team right above us in the organization, Craig Durham with Dunedin, mm-hmm. and then connecting with the AA, the AAA broadcasters, then the broadcasters at the short season levels. So all of us were connecting on a weekly basis. It's amazing. Connecting with the people at the very top with the Toronto Blue Jays, their broadcast team was so great to work with. And then knowing the players, it's a wonderful thing to work in an orga- organization that has a farm system that was building talent up from within right to the major leagues so that I knew the guys who were arriving. It was a very good confluence of events. And then I think, I think it was Mike Wilner who said, during spring training, we need to ask the minor league broadcasters to come in here. Number one, other teams are doing this with opportunities. And number two, how much of a spring training game is filled with players that we've never heard of, right. but they know. And that led to me getting invited, okay. which was just a spectacular opportunity. That's amazing. Wow. Are you going to try to coordinate something like that with the, with the A's system? Try to get all the broadcasters together? I think that it would be really great. The first thing I want to do is see what podcasts are out there. Like you said, the active nature of A's fans online. So I don't want to step on any toes. But yes, I do think it's important to say, feet on the ground, here's what's going on in Lansing. Now let's check in on Stockton. 
Yeah. Now let's see what's happening in Midland. Now let's see what's going on in Las Vegas. And the coincidence is that Las Vegas' broadcaster is Russ Langer. When I first started around the nest for the Blue Jay system, my AAA affiliate was Las Vegas. Oh, okay. The Russ Langer was on around the nest. That's cool. It would make an easy invitation, it seems to me, to start something up in the Oakland system, checking in with each affiliate. Russ knows what's going on. Sure. Absolutely. Wow. So, and you also write for Ballpark Digest, right? Right. Um, but you were also honored as the Ballpark Digest 2019, the reigning Minor League Baseball Broadcaster of the Year. What was that like? It was difficult for me to wrap my head around at first. Yeah. I'm somebody who reacts very slowly to big things. Uh huh. So, for example, if I got a chocolate milk, I would react very big. I love <laughs> chocolate milk. That's a small thing. That would make me very outwardly happy. Okay. But this was so big that it was just hard to do anything except to say thank you this is an honor and take my time to understand what it meant um it meant a great deal and i think that we all just strive i to speak for myself i strive to do my job as well as i can possibly do it like any ball player you want to learn your own strengths and weaknesses stay within yourself and optimize yourself and it felt like a validation of all the work that I put in. Fantastic! It always it's always great to you know be validated. I mean, we all work so hard in this industry, and you've been grinding it out for a long time, man. And that's that's fantastic! Wow. Uh, so we talked about this a little bit. Um, so what are you lo- most looking forward to this season? Uh, number one and number two. Are you going to be traveling with the team? I know things are going to be different this year in all aspects, uh, you know, in every department of minor league baseball. Um, but, yeah, just just enlighten me a little bit about that. To number one, I'm most looking forward to baseball. I'm broadcasting <laughs> baseball again. But also, it's a brand-new organization. We don't know them, and they don't know us. Mm-hmm. And what I love is each year – Players come in and they put their name on the map. Okay. So I'm excited to see in this new organization with players who have never played their home games in Lansing before under this coaching staff, I'm excited to see which players have a breakout opportunity, which pitchers, which hitters suddenly put themselves forward and establish themselves as prospects to watch, especially in an organization that whether they'll be traded, whether they'll be promoted and contribute to the next generation of Oakland Athletics Division champions, they're going to be a name for people to know. So that, to my mind, is always super exciting. It's just to see who are these next big talents that I didn't really know about until seeing them in person. Mm -hmm. To answer your second question, we are not allowed to travel broadcasters in my division the first month of the season, and then it will be reevaluated on a month-to-month basis after that. So are you going to be broadcasting games, so away games from Lansing? Here's my wink. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I've been built for this, right? Calling games off a monitor, calling games off a game day. Yeah. With my camp crowd sound behind me. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm going to be calling 
games in Dayton while I'm in Lansing. Absolutely. Okay. That's pretty awesome, actually. Um, so I actually just found this out yesterday from a shout out to Kim Contreras, who you've probably, you probably know her by now on Twitter. Um, but so she brought to my attention that minor league baseball has pulled their partnership with tune in radio. Um, so is it, is there going to be a one-stop shop where people where for minor league baseball fans to listen to their favorite teams or is it kind of like we got to you know fend for ourselves and find you know our own favorite team's station and all that kind of stuff it is still through stream guys so i'm not sure what the larger network of distribution is going to be but we do have a link to click on that we will be streaming online. Okay. Kim reached out to me, and I shared that link with her. Okay. I'm going to make sure that anybody who wants can get that link. Yeah, I think it's our job as broadcasters to make sure that it's easier to find us rather than harder. So I'm not sure who they're going to replace TuneIn Radio with. But yeah, it's hopefully it's all centralized in some spot, and they announce it sooner rather than later. But sure. it's still stream guys working with us to help make sure that we're streaming. Okay, fantastic. So, were you broadcasting any other sports during this long off-season? I was doing a couple of things. Okay. Lansing Lugnuts, when the minor league baseball season was canceled, held 20 collegiate wooden bat games. Oh. July through August. Yeah. So I got to call those games, and they were all video streamed, so I actually got to do TV baseball for the Ooh. first time in my life. Okay. Great. Great learning opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. I also am the voice of Central Michigan University basketball. It okay. had been women's basketball home and road radio, and then because of COVID nineteen, they took me off the radio. They bubbled up the radio broadcaster, so I did CMU women's basketball select games, ESPN three, ESPNU. So now I'm doing TV basketball, which was great. Wow! And they put me for the home radio games for CMU men's basketball, which was awesome. Um, I mean, I still have my health anxiety, so I was, I'm a pretty outgoing person, Mm -hmm. and during this, I've been very much mask on, keeping my distance, and not schmoozing, which I'm sure people see me, and they come rushing over to shake my hand, and I'm going, I I just, I'm not sure I feel comfortable doing this in June of 2020, but the other thing I was pressed into duty on is I've been pinch-hitting as a host for local Lansing Sports Talk Radio. Oh, cool. The hosts take a break. They've asked me to fill in. So that is something entirely different and an enormous challenge, but very fun. Yeah. I was reading, I think it was on your website, which you can plug at the end if you'd like. Um, but And this was a different experience than I've read of you know other broadcasters doing you were announcing for the um, correct. I don't know what the right wording is, but the visually impaired, I guess, yes. for um, Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes. How how did you get into that, and how did it go? I graduated from Ithaca College, and I couldn't get a job in baseball. Okay, so to go back to the, it's tough to get a job. It's really tough, and I found that out immediately. Mm -hmm. I got rejected from every job that I applied for. 
So now it's 2004, it's the summer, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. I reached out to, I was connected with an audio description person who did audio description, basically play-by-play, for the visually impaired of television shows, of movies, of live performances around the Washington, D.C. area. Oh. Well, this person asked me, can you can you go call audio description of this piano player, this dance act, and yes, Jesus Christ Superstar. So wow. yes, I was I was doing the play-by-play of Jesus Christ <laughs> Superstar. And after the first show, they approached me and they said, you're being a little bit too loud, you're disturbing the cast. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot. That was an amazing experience. I can imagine. I, I mean, you don't hear about you know people doing that every day. And when I read that, I was like, I gotta ask Jesse about this. You know. Uh, so, in addition to you being an amazing broadcaster, um, and I, I just want before I ask the question, I want to take a time out and just say. I've always appreciated your broadcasting style um, because you were, you know, in the booth next to me in Beloit, very small press box, very hot usually. Um, but you, the way you describe the game, it's so in detail. Um, and let's face it, Beloit was not the most desirable place to go to. Um, but you made the best of it, and you you didn't put it down at all. You You know, you just called it like it was and you you described it as you know this is you know there's there's metal bleachers you know there this is one of the last like old school fields in our league and we have to treasure it and you described all the players like in so much detail and you did a lot of legwork on our players because we didn't have a home broadcaster uh, most of the time and um, so I just wanted to shout you out there and just just say that and you always explain the game whether whether the person is a diehard baseball fan and has listened to you or other baseball broadcasts a million times or if it's somebody listening to a broadcast for the first time like you know you just resonate with you know, all aspects and um, all fans there. So I just want to shout you out there. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'll fix on one thing that you said. Uh-huh. We would have Rovers come in to speak to our Lugnuts baseball team. Mm-hmm. Carlos Delgado, Fred McGriff, players who played in the past. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that they would say to the players is, you guys now, you play in these beautiful new ballparks you don't know what it was like to be us coming up through the minor leagues with the stadiums we played in, with the hotels we stayed at. And I would go over and I'd go, no, we still play at those same ballparks. Those ballparks still exist in our <laughs> league. And this is important for you to know is it's not so removed to walk into Pullman Field and to see the list of all those players who had been Beloit Brewers and Beloit Snappers. It's important for the guys currently to understand who was walking the same outfields that they were currently patrolling. Right. Yeah, you're you're exactly right about that. So I want to tell a quick story about that. So we did a Greg Vaughn bobblehead giveaway when I was in Beloit. And, of course, I was the media relations marketing guy. And so... 
I got Greg Vaughn's phone number a roundabout way, uh, you know, through the Brewers, you know, alumni system and all that. And I called him and I got to talk to him a couple different times and just to run it by him, see if we could do a Greg Vaughn bobblehead giveaway. And he said, yeah, I think that'd be okay. As long, as long as I get a box or two. And I was like, okay, sure. So he gave me his address to send it to and all that. And, um, he said, I got to ask you something. I said, okay. And he said, are the players still getting changed in the ice hockey arena that's around the corner? And is that, is that where the clubhouse is? And I said, no, but I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, so just imagine that, like the players walking over across the field from that ice hockey arena. We played in the University of Iowa's ballpark, we being the Lansing Lugnuts, taking on the Quad Cities River Bandits in 2019. Right. Because the River Bandits had been flooded. Mm -hmm. So they were searching for any kind of fields to play at in Iowa. And at the University of Iowa's ballpark, there were no clubhouses for us. Mm. So yes, the players had to do the college thing where on the bus you'd be wearing your uniform. And then after the game, you'd be searching out for a shower. So we'd actually... We'd have to drive to a different athletic facility for the guys to have oh. their post-game showers. Things that they take for granted. Right. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, oh what a slugger. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so this is where I was going. Um, so in addition to you being a fantastic broadcaster, you're also an author. You And so what made you want to write the baseball thesaurus and then the football thesaurus as well? I needed it. I I decided when I was coming out of high school looking for colleges that I wanted to be an author of books. Okay. And I wanted to be a baseball broadcaster, and I didn't know which one to go to. And in the end, I chose broadcasting as the reason why I went to Ithaca College, and then I figured I could write in my spare time. Okay. But I thought I was going to write novels and short stories and cool fiction, maybe some mysteries. I'm in Brockton, Massachusetts, and I'm trying to describe baseball, and I kept on saying the same words. And I realized I didn't know how to speak baseball, even though I'd loved the game my whole life. Mm. Same thing with football. I'm broadcasting football, and I'm going, I can't speak football. I need to actually learn football. And the way that I did that was I just started writing down terms and writing down different ways that I could say things. And each book grew from there. So... I wrote these books. These books got published because nobody else had written them, and I needed them. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Wow. That is super interesting. I wish I would have known about the baseball thesaurus when I was right out of college, and I was um, the color announcer for the high school game of the week uh, for for a local radio station back in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I wish I would have had that uh, football thesaurus for sure because I could not speak football. Exactly. And I listen to broadcasters now and I think to myself, that term that you used, that doesn't describe what you think it describes. Mm -hmm. It's so important if we're talking the game to talk the game properly. The same thing if I'm trying to speak the English language as communicating, same as you. Well, we have to understand how to use the language. If I'm learning Spanish, I need to understand how to properly use Spanish. Mm -hmm. And sports is the same thing. You need to know how to talk baseball. (laughs) I get it. I get it. 
I'm sure there are a lot of broadcasters that have used that to their advantage. For sure. I don't, it's interesting because when you write a book, you put it out there in the world, and then it's just out there, and you don't know what's going to happen. And okay. so now I'll, I'll pick it up and I'll open it up, and it will surprise me with what I'll see, as if somebody else has written it. I'm that far removed from it. It's the same way that okay. I can listen back to a broadcast from 2016, and I won't remember saying those words that I hear myself saying. Mm-hmm. But a broadcast is over and done with that night. The next day, there's another one. This book is out there, and I wrote it, and it's out, and I can't do anything about it. <laughs> so I constantly worry that somebody's going to open it up and go, found a mistake. No. I I think you would have caught that before anybody else did, honestly. <laughs> All right. So you've traveled through the Midwest League, you know, a hundred times over, I'm, I'm sure. But what are your... What are your favorite and least favorite places to go to in the Midwest League? So I'm bothered by heat. Okay. And I'm bothered by animals. Mm. Um, I can give you examples of when I don't want to be certain places. Okay. For example, Quad Cities is a place I love to go to. Mm-hmm. But my very first trip there in 2009 happened to be Mayfly season. Ooh. I'm broadcasting the game, and it's the sixth inning, and suddenly the lights dimmed. And earlier in the day, I just arrived. I'm setting up my equipment, and I didn't understand why the windows of the press box didn't open, and it Ooh. peeved me. I wanted to open the windows, so I'm sitting there this entire broadcast, sitting behind closed windows, talking right into the glass, having my sound bounce back, and just getting irked. Yeah. Well, the light's dimmed, and I'm wondering, why are the lights dimming? Is it a power failure? And then they arrived off the Mississippi, and everybody got swarmed. And mayflies, they did not sting, they don't bite, they're utterly harmless, but there were, I don't know, millions, a billion of them, and they... The players had to manage the dugout, the fans, and they were now everywhere on my window so I could barely see the game through their massive bodies. Really? But I was thanking the good Lord that these windows were sealed shut. Yeah, how about it? (laughs) Goodness gracious. Wow. So uh, that's one thing. Another thing about Quad Cities is if you go at the wrong time of year, the red-winged blackbirds have their mating season, and they will attack you if you come too close. Really? My broadcast assistant was going for a jog, jog near the ballpark one day, and he came back, and he said, I think birds just attacked me. And I'm trying to laugh this off. I go into the stadium, and the box office person goes, oh, yeah, it's been great. I've been sitting here in the box office watching people get attacked all day. Fast forward a couple of years later, I'm walking to the ballpark. I'm hearing some birds, and I realize... It's the same time of year, and then I got dive-bombed, oh. so I ran the rest of the wow. way to the ballpark. The weird things that cause you to go, I don't know if I really enjoy coming to this city if yeah, you're really. with birds and insects. Goodness, wow. Okay. I didn't expect that. Wow. That's incredible. The baseball is great. Yeah. You can bring me wherever. The game is going to be wonderful. I'm allergic to bee stings, wasp stings, mosquitoes, etc. So if you suddenly put, uh, put me into a place where I've got to deal with yellow jackets, I'm not going to be all that happy. Uh, I'm going to worry. 
But aside from that, you just show me a place where I can watch a baseball game. I'll be okay. Okay. And my favorite places to be in general, it help, it's helped by great weather. But I've loved exploring and finding cool places to eat wherever I've gone. And so when I first went to Fort Wayne and I found Cindy's Diner, that made my season. I just kept on going back every single day to the point where the Fort Wayne Tin Caps did not understand how famous I had gotten. Oh. So <laughs> there are Tin Caps people, Tin Caps members of the front office who walk in and the person asks them, is Lansing in town? And they're like, yeah. And they go, oh, say hi to Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. What's the best thing to get at Cindy's Diner? I'm I'm easy. A grilled cheese and fries floats my boat. Um, if I'm going in the morning, I'll have whether it's a short stack of pancakes, whether it's a good French toast, scrambled eggs on the side. French toast and scrambled eggs and fresh fruits are a winning breakfast for me. Oh yeah, for sure. That sounds really good, actually. Wow. So, what are the best concessions items that you've had in your baseball travels. Ben's Soft Pretzel, South Bend, Indiana. I love a good soft pretzel at the ballpark. As a kid going to games, my parents knew, third inning, thereabouts, it was soft pretzel time. Ben's Soft Pretzel in South Bend is the best soft pretzel in the Midwest League, now the high essential. There's nothing that compares. There's an apple, oh goodness, apple dumpling, a dumpling a la mode, I think is what it is. I don't think it's the apple wontons in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Ooh. That's sensational as well. Okay. What makes the soft pretzel like the best? It's, it's handmade. It's oh. homemade. It's, it's not like we've got a frozen pretzel and we're going to warm it up. Okay. They make it right there in front of you. Really? Oh. Now, do it's you... It's gigantic. Okay. Do you dip it in mustard or anything? I have been known to dip it in mustard, yeah. Ooh, okay. I will eat it plain. I will eat it with mustard. I will have a cinnamon sugar soft pretzel. I will yep. have a salted soft pretzel. My advice to people, though, is when you go to a normal ballpark and you don't have the handmade right there in front of you, when you have a normal soft pretzel, I generally advise getting one salted because yeah. that's a pretzel that they have to moisten in order to salt it. And you always you got to have it softer. You can't have a hard soft pretzel yeah i think that soft pretzel means you wouldn't have it hard but you know right okay i gotcha i remember in beloit you know when i would work the high school games and stuff like that in the concession stand you know you we had like you know those normal like soft pretzels that you get from like sam's club or whatever we'd heat them up in the microwave and then we'd always ask the person if they wanted it salted or not salted and then so we would take it out of the microwave if they wanted it salted, spray it with water, with like a right? a Salt spray bottle, and, and then and then you know put the you know put it on like a plate full of salt, and then you know hand it to them. So, so I'm the guy who would say salt me. You hand it to me, and I know okay, it's now softer, stickier, and then I go to a trash can and I brush off all that salt. So all I wanted you oh. to do was simply to spray it with water. Okay, interesting. All right. So I always like to ask the broadcasters this question. What is the most memorable call that you've made in your career? I 
have a memorable moment. I don't really remember my call. Okay. A memorable moment, Reward? I mean, this might be silly. I don't think that I remember a lot of my calls. Um, I can tell you a call made by somebody else. In Montgomery, Alabama, my number one broadcaster, Jim Toko, called an Evan Longoria walk-off home run. And he said, see you later. He shouted it out. And we were at a bar later that night. And the music was blaring, and there were tons of people, and everybody was celebrating because we had just won. And the entire bar was shouting, see you later. That was cool. That was really, <laughs> that is, really cool. That's, that's pretty badass. <laughs> For me, though, no, the moment was in 2011, Lansing Lugnuts, Dayton Dragons. Dayton, one of the greatest minor league teams I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. They had... They're unhittable closer on the mound. Game two of a best two out of three series. They had one game, one in Dayton. Now we were playing in Lansing. We were down by one run. They had one hit us the entire game. But there had been a rain delay during the game. Okay. Now we've resumed following the rain delay. Bottom of the ninth, we get a guy on. Our second hit of the game, two outs. Down to our final out, and our season is over. They're going to sweep us and move on. And our number eight hitter hits a walk-off home run to left field. With their left fielder jumping up, missing it, falling into a puddle. And that moment of us walking off with the winner, that was awesome. Yeah, wow. That, that stuck with me. Yeah. Wow. What a memorable moment. Incredible. So I can I'm, tell you one of yeah. my worst calls. Go like, for this it. This is just me looking back in retrospect. Yeah. I got to call the Windy City Thunderbolts winning the Frontier League Championship Series. Ooh. And I had decided in advance when they won this championship series. They were sweeping Kalamazoo three games to none. I was going to shout thunder strikes twice Ooh. and so that's what i shouted at the time where the thunderbolts thunder strikes twice and now i look back on that and i'm like does thunder strike though is that something that strikes <laughs> it's not <laughs> okay i get you thunder rolls right lightning strikes yeah okay makes sense <laughs> Yeah, I I can imagine, like, you know, at the time, that sounded pretty cool. Brilliant, right? How smart am I? Right. (laughs) Well, it's like, as a young broadcaster trying to come up with a home run call, and I'd come up with these ideas, and then I'd try to execute them in the game. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized, this just didn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I've I've listened to a couple, like, young broadcasters, you know, try try to come up with that, because... In most of my career, I was in the press box around broadcasters. And, yeah, I've heard some young ones, you know, they they try their home run call. And and then, you know, after the game, they're like, oh, man, that sounded stupid. I got to go back to the drawing board on that one. But you got to try it because if you don't, Mm -hmm. then there's a home run and you don't know what to say. Like, you've got to have something that you say. So I remember getting caught in between and I was like, that ball is gone out of here. (laughs) <laughs> it's over the wall it's it's a homer um the very first time i ever recorded myself broadcasting i got to do tape demo work in Bowie, maryland and yeah. the very first batter homered and i got so caught up with my tongue and my words and i'm tripping all over the place spraining my tongue that i stopped my tape recorder i rewound i pressed record and i called it again <laughs> <laughs> so the broadcaster um, I'm not gonna say his name. He, I mean, he, even if he listens to this, he he will be the first one to say this. So it's not a shocker. But the Shorebirds hit a walk off grand slam 
uh, you know, one of the most exciting moments in your minor league career at that point. And his voice cracked during the call of the Grand Slam. And it went from a very high high to a very low low. And, (laughs) you know, it was used in, you know, promotional videos and like, you know, stuff like that. And like, there was just no way to, to, you know, go about changing it, you know? Um, but, and he's, he, he will still kick himself. He's like, you know, that was one of the most memorable moments in my entire career. And I botched it because, because my, my voice, you know, just went so high and then so low and yeah, it didn't sound fantastic. To defend him. Because I'm somebody who's had my voice crack at inopportune spots. You can't practice that. Right, yeah. Biggest moments. And, I mean, it's not what you're going to say. It's removing the words from the vocal instrument. You are, when that happens, it's because you're, in my opinion, asking your vocal cords to do something that they're not capable of. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't do that if you understood your own limitations. But how do you understand your own limitations until you do it? Right. You're not practicing by yelling at yourself in the mirror, you know? Exactly. So the biggest moments, I've heard broadcasters get criticized because they weren't excited enough. Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to figure out how far to push it without pushing too far. Like you're blowing up a balloon and trying not to pop it. Right. Okay. That's a good way to put it. So I'm a big sucker for promotions. I love, like, a good promotion that's just, like, out there. What's the best promotion that you've seen in all of your ballpark travels? The first couple that come to mind, I loved West Michigan's Salute to Australia, mm. where their on-field MC wrestled a crocodile below home plate. <laughs> they did a ton of really wacky, fun things. Uh, in Brockton, Massachusetts, our Salute to Blindness night... At one point, we played the broadcaster's voice over the PA. That way, you could close your eyes and just listen. But it turns out players don't like having themselves described by the voice of God. Mm -hmm. So that ending went real quick. (laughs) There, There have just been these ideas and promotions that have happened that I think they were really good ideas on paper. And then you try it and you go, whoa. But I'll tell you one that I really enjoyed was we did Purge Night, the brainchild of Lugnuts General Manager Tyler Parsons. Okay. And the idea was this. At some point in the game, the Purge siren is going to go off. We don't know when. And when that goes off, for the next half inning, all food is free. So until the inning ends, everything is free. (laughs) So here we go. And it's inning after inning is passing, and I'm hearing people are trying to spread rumors. I think it's going to be the seventh. I think it's going to be the fourth inning. I think it was the bottom of the sixth. Suddenly the siren went off, and everybody left their seats. Just everybody stood up and ran to the concession stands. Can you blame them? What no. happened? The lug nuts rallied, loaded the bases, and a guy hit a grand slam. That must have been the highest attended, lowest spectated Grand Slam in recorded baseball history. Yeah. Everybody was there. Nobody was watching. Okay. Wow. In- wow, that's so... That's such an interesting promotion. I don't know how you made that work dollars and cents wise. But... And again, siren goes. <laughs> Everybody, 
food now costs money again. Wow. <laughs> Purge night. Very interesting. Oh, um, so you were talking about how you broadcasted, or the broadcaster went over the PA and the players didn't like that. I feel like you've seen this show. Maybe not. Have you seen Brockmire? I've never seen Brockmire except for the very first um, sketch that they ever put okay. out. Was that Funny or Die? Yeah, I yeah. I saw that, but I never actually watched the show. But I know that he's a he's a broadcaster who's over the PA, right? Yeah, and like, it's such a good show. It, you know, the the I think it was the final season was, was super weird. Like, it took place in the future, and... He's the commissioner, right? Yeah, he's the... Co- I wasn't going to give it away, but... Yeah, uh, but it's okay. If you haven't watched it by now, you, you're not going to. But, um... Yeah, he's the commissioner, and he's, it's like, you know, the year 2035, you know, and he's trying to make baseball cool and make, you know, make younger fans, and so that was super strange. The technology was was very weird, but yeah, in the beginning, you know, when he was calling baseball, like, in western Pennsylvania, uh, he was... Over, he was broadcasting the game over the PA system, and I was just like, "Why is he doing this? Why? Why are they making this part of the show?" But yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. For it a can't work bit. in real life because I, I watched it, and every single player swings at the first pitch, and every single fielder gets the yips because you've got a guy going routine bouncer to short. Right. So it's just, it makes for a very weird circumstance that the players hate it, and the umpire doesn't like it. Yeah. And now you're going, well, that brings up Joe Johnson, who's one for his last 16, and that guy is now miserable. So, yeah. yeah, it just makes for such a crazy environment. <laughs> hmm Wow. So you've traveled with the team pretty much every game, your last 11 seasons, except for, you know, this next month here. Um, but... What's the best story that you can tell on this podcast? I'm sure there are some that you can't. What's the best story that you can tell from traveling with the team? Hmm. I guess a couple of things come to mind. There was the time that we were driving through funnel clouds and tornadoes are touching down all around us on our way to Bowling Green, Kentucky. Ooh. We got through it. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. But I'm never, ever going to forget that. Oh, I'll tell you one about this. My manager, my acting interim manager in 2008 with the Windy City Thunderbolts. And that's the fun thing is you never know what kind of story gets triggered. Because every season, every road trip, there are new stories that come out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the year that we decided, the manager decided, we were all going to watch Friday Night Lights, the TV show during the season, mm-hmm. every single road trip. Okay. And so into the show, he started taking the discs with him into his hotel room. And so you'd go from being on the bus watching episode three, the next time you're on the bus, you're up to episode eight, because he had watched four through seven in his oh hotel room. Oh my gosh. That was what he was up to. But in 2008, you're always searching for what's the entertainment on the bus. Mike Kaszurski had taken over for our fired manager of mid-season. He had been mm. our bench coach. Okay. Cash. One of the absolute best players managers I've ever, ever seen. And during one road trip, he stopped 
once he, he pulled out a disc and he said, fellas, I've been working with you all year. I've been coaching you. I've been evaluating you. It's time for you to evaluate me. And he put on the disc. And it turns out Mike Kaczorski was a basketball referee in the offseason. And so he's working with the players. He's like, what do you think? Is this an offensive foul? And the guys are, no, no, Cash, that's a blocking foul. And he's like, I, I think the guy, I think the guy was set. I think his feet were set. So just him talking with the team and everybody going back and forth about the critique of his high school refereeing tapes. That's awesome. Never going to forget that. Wow. That is so awesome. You know, some managers, you know, they just got to, you know, poke a little fun at themselves, you know? Yeah, you can't take yourself too seriously. He turned into an insult comic when we had suffered a tough loss at Gateway. And he got on the bus and the team was miserable. And he grabbed the microphone and he went player by player. And it was like he was Don Rickles from the old day, just cracking on guys. And before long, the entire bus was rollicking and the spirits were high again. Brilliant players manager. (laughs) That is pretty awesome. What did he, you know, end up going to do? Last I heard, he was coaching at a college in the Chicago area. Okay. Very cool. All right. And so with you being the broadcaster and you have your hand in marketing as well, um, you post quite a bit and update the team's social media accounts. Are there any comments or messages that stand out to you? Any like weird ones? I try to ignore the weird ones. That's great. I enjoyed, I think it was last year. Suddenly we got a message from a guy who was like, hey, I was a Lugnut back in 1996, 1997. Uh-huh. Just checking, just saying hi. And that, to my mind, is super fun. That now we are at the point where the alumni can just check in and say, these were glory years, how's it going? Okay. Just replying, you know, the, whatever they are up to now, wherever they might be. Those That's are the cool. coolest messages or the person who says, hi, this... A relative plate for the lug nuts. Just yeah, in. that is pretty cool. Wow, very cool, awesome. All right, so we did have some listener questions. Yeah, let's see here. And I wasn't super familiar, so I and I think we get it now. Maybe um, Adam Marco, who's a former guest of this podcast. Also, another Williamsport Crosscutters intern uh, asked, how much has his recreation game grown or developed since its inception? That's my once-a-year broadcast where I don't watch the game. I just use my sound effects to recreate it like they did in the old days, which now I'm going to be recreating the atmosphere, calling the games on the road at home. When I first started to do it, I just cracked mini-bats together. And how it's grown is I've added crowd sound. I recorded a lazy Sunday at the ballpark. Now I've got my crowd murmur behind me. Now I've added in cheers for big plays or boos if it's a play that the home crowd wouldn't like. 
So all of those different layerings of effects that I've added over the years, I think I've gotten a little bit better at recreating too. Okay, so explain to the listeners why you would recreate, you know, a game or a sound. It's a tribute. It's the way that broadcasters used to have to call games when they weren't allowed to go on the road. So you don't have the sound from the stadium, you're not at the stadium. And now... What was once old is new again, because I won't be allowed to be at the stadium, so I've got to recreate the sound, that crack of the bat of the ball into the mid of the crowd, everything that you would hear if I was actually there. Okay. All right, that makes sense. So you're going to be doing some more of that this season, <laughs> at least the first month or so. Necessity. Um. Okay, and then we have Greg Kigar? Kigar? Kiger. Kiger, man. Okay. Greg Kiger asked, uh, did you start broadcasting at 12 years old? I feel like he knows the answer to this already, but... I mean, I didn't. I started broadcasting when I was in college. I went to college looking to become a broadcaster, and I'd never, ever done it before in my life. So I started broadcasting when I was 18 years old. 18, 19. I was not very good. Hopefully I'm better now. <laughs> you, are, you are a lot better. I mean, I don't know what you were like when you were 18 or 19, but not, you're, not you're pretty darn good now. <laughs> okay. And I think that was it as far as the listener questions went. Uh, so where can the listeners find you or the Lugnuts on social media, Jesse? At Lansing Lugnuts and LansingLugnuts.com, and I am at J Goldstrass, J G O L D S T R A S S. Because if you take Goldstrass away from Goldberg Strassler, I discovered as a second grader, it left Burglar, and I thought that was mm. cool. So that's my little inside joke with myself. Okay. J Goldstrass. Okay, very cool. Um, and then, what's your website? JesseGoldbergStrassler.com. Okay. Where can uh, people get your books? The best thing to do is go right to the publisher. And the publisher is August Publications. August like the month. Okay. Augustpublications.com. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. All right. So I don't think you've gotten a chance to listen to any other um, episodes of the podcast, but we end with the same question every time. Um, being a former media relations person, um, we are asked to change people's walk-up songs all the time, right? So what has been your favorite walk-up song in your baseball career, and whose was it? Outfield Your Love by a guy named Joey Metropolis for the Southern Illinois Miners. The entire crowd in Southern Illinois sang him up to home plate. So I remember the first time that I saw that, he batted third, fourth in their order, and the PA announcer would pause, and the entire crowd would start singing, and this big, hulking guy stepped out of the dugout. Okay, so that made an impression. He goes and hits a home run. Mm -hmm. All right, later on in the series, he's got the day off. We've got a close lead to the bottom of the ninth inning. They get some guys on, one down. Nobody steps out into the on-deck circle. I'm going, well, they need a hitter. Suddenly, the PA announcer goes, pinch hitting for the minors sing along and the entire crowd starts singing and here comes joey metropolis it was amazing wow 
That so, didn't sound awesome. into a game-ending double play, we won. Okay. It, it still made an impression. Joey Metropolis, what a name, too. Wow. That's so awesome. Well, we'll ride out. on a vacation far away. <laughs> Come around and talk it over. So many things I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not editing that out, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, for taking the time to hop on the Pulling Tart podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, And, yeah, uh, just thank you so much, and best of luck this season. Thank you very much, Bobby. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Listen to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.